We're going to look together at uh, one of the Christmas passages. This is from Luke chapter 2. And this morning will be more brief, I hope, than a typical Sunday morning. But we're going to look at this passage together on on Christmas morning. So this is Luke 2, verses 1 through 24. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths And laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you show us now as we look at your word, yourself, and your son by your spirit. Show us what we're like. Show us our great need for the Lord Jesus and just how loved we are in him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to talk this morning about uh, what theologians call the humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ. Now, humiliation uh, is a word that sort of does double duty because you can either choose to be uh, humiliated, which is what Jesus did, or you can be humiliated. It's what we call being embarrassed. Uh, So just two things about Jesus we want to consider. First, Jesus was born poor. And then second, Jesus was born under the law. Um, The nicest hospital that I've, excuse me, the nicest hotel I've ever stayed in is Patewood Hospital. Uh, Round-the-clock service, an adjustable bed, and it's very expensive. Three times in this passage, uh, it says that Jesus 
was laid in a manger. You know, a lot of the nativity scenes that we have are uh, a little too chic, you know, a little too Chip and Jojo sort of child playhouse shed mangers. Uh, Even the word manger sort of sounds nicer than what it is. Uh, The son of God, when he was born, was laid in an animal's feeding trough. That's where he spends the first hours of his life. Uh, Whenever you and I have options before us, we always choose more. We always choose nicer. We always choose the best. The Son of God could have been born in any condition that he wanted to, any kind of community, any kind of family, any kind of hospital, Uh, but he chose to be born poor. I mean, imagine for a second that you live in a house with a leaky roof and your car doesn't start and uh, all you can afford is beans and rice to eat, but then all of a sudden you get a great job with a salary and benefits. Uh, none of us would stay with a leaky roof or a car that doesn't start. We would call a realtor and go to the, uh, to the dealership immediately. Uh, that's what we do. But Jesus chose to be poor, having options before him, and he stayed poor. The through line of Jesus' net worth in the Gospels starts with him wrapped in swaddling cloths and ends in him dying with nothing. Uh, and it doesn't look like a mountain when you back up. He stays poor throughout his life. He's going to say at one point, Uh, in his ministry when he's older, that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Christ chose to be poor. He chose to be poor, and he chose to stay poor. Uh, We almost never humble ourselves, but humiliation is part of the human experience. It's sort of always waiting for us. We're sort of one small mistake away from being embarrassed, from being humiliated. Uh, When I was in third grade, my teacher handed out lima beans for good behavior and took away lima beans for bad behavior. And at the end of the year, we had an auction uh, where you could bid on all these little toys and trinkets using lima beans. Now, the thing that I wanted in that auction was a black light, just a light bulb that looks purple. And uh, I thought, you know, if I buy this light then I can put it in a lamp in my room and sort of have like a discotheque in my room. I know it's weird, don't miss the forest for the trees. So at the, at the end of the year, I had 72 lima beans. You'll see why I remember that in a second. Uh, the auction was going, and this is a lesson in how not to behave at auctions. Not that I participate in a lot of those, but my first experience was pretty bad. So I, I don't bid on anything until we get to the black light. And she says, this looks like a purple light bulb. I thought, perfect description, nobody's gonna want it. Let's start the bidding at 10 lima beans. My hand shoots up, I say 72 lima beans. (laughs) Uh, Not a second later, the smartest and most well-behaved girl in our class raises her hand and says 73 lima beans. She was loaded with lima beans. This was, no pun pun intended, beans to her, okay? So she she purchases the, uh, the black light and I'm disappointed. I don't remember what I went home with, but not the black light. Okay, I was sad that I didn't get the black light. I was also embarrassed because my behavior is what led to me only having 72 lima beans. It's embarrassing. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to be misconstrued, to feel exposed. But Jesus' experience of humiliation was not like ours. He had to choose to be humiliated. Whereas for us, the facade always falls apart and we're exposed. Jesus chose to be humiliated. Uh, And he was humiliated. He was. His family called him crazy. 
Uh, his whole hometown, he says, rejected him. At the end of his life, he's mocked like a fake king. He's got a fake crown on, a fake king's clothes, a fake scepter in his hand. People are spitting on him. People walk by at his death and wag their heads at him. He was humiliated. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he choose humiliation? Well, see, since he can't accidentally be humiliated, he was being humiliated to identify with us so that he could say, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be laughed at. Uh, in maybe one of the greatest TV romances that there is, The Office, uh, Jim and Pam are about to get married. And this may have some spoilers in it, but it's been years, so no need to apologize for that, I don't think. But uh, Jim and Pam are about to get married, and uh, the whole day is, you know, like, like any wedding day, there's sort of a lot of things that can go wrong. But Pam uh, has gotten right there to just before the ceremony, and her veil is uh, a mess. Something's wrong with her veil, and she's feeling very overwhelmed by that. And Jim, the groom, walks in, sees the veil, is messed up, and they start talking about it. And here's what Pam says. She says, this veil was supposed to be the one thing that I could control, and I messed it up. So Jim takes a pair of scissors, and he cuts his tie in half. And he says, there, we're even. And then I start crying. Uh, Jesus humbled himself to identify with us, to identify with us, and to rescue us. All right, to understand this, that he didn't just come to identify with us, but also to rescue us, we need our second point, and we're, we're gonna need our thinking caps, okay? Jesus was born under the law. He was born under the law. So he's born poor, but he's born under the law. All right, to be under the law is to be liable to the law's consequences, uh, the easiest way maybe to think about it is to think of the opposite, to be above the law. If you're above the law, it means that whether you obey the law or not, the consequences of the law will not apply to you if you're above the law. But Jesus was under the law. Uh, how do we know that Jesus was born under the law? Uh, well, the Apostle Paul will say so explicitly in some of his letters that Christ was born under the law. But here's a hint uh, in this passage in Luke. From verse 21 on, did you see Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple? And it says Jesus is circumcised. This is something that the law of God commanded needed to happen on the eighth day, and he receives his name, Jesus. And then 40 days later, Mary uh, is gonna give a sacrifice that was outlined in Leviticus 12. So there at the end, you've got Mary and Joseph being people, showing that they're people who are under the law, and Jesus is under the law too. So here's, here's uh, the law that they're obeying. This is from Leviticus 12. You see it quoted in, in verse 23 there. Uh, it says in verse 23, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Then verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Here's what it says in Leviticus 12. It's talking about the sacrifice that a mother is supposed to give after 40 days of giving birth. And here's what it says. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Remember we said Jesus is poor. See, what Mary is supposed to do is to bring a lamb to be sacrificed for her. Uh, but the law says if she can't afford a lamb, she can bring two birds. Now, to understand the significance of this, we have to see that Jesus is not only born under the law, but he's also the one who gave the law. He's the one who wrote the law. We sing about this in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Here's one of the lines from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Talking about Jesus, Emmanuel, it says, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law. 
in cloud and majesty and all. So Jesus is the one who gave the law. So imagine it like this. Jesus is telling Moses the laws to write down. And so he's saying, okay, for uh, this event, this kind of animal needs to be sacrificed. For this kind of disease, this kind of animal needs to be sacrificed. And then he says, a woman who gives birth waits 40 days, and then she needs to sacrifice a lamb. And Moses is like, okay, great. Woman who gives birth, sacrifice a lamb, got it, next. And Jesus, knowing who his mother would be, knowing the kind of condition he was going to be born in, says, wait, if she can't afford a lamb, two birds. If she's poor, no lamb necessary, just two birds. So Jesus wrote the law, and he comes under the law, meaning if he breaks it, if he breaks the law, he has to pay the penalties associated with the law. Uh, we, in a church league basketball game just a few weeks ago, we had a little spat in between one of the refs and the clock keeper. This is extremely common. And uh, the ref and the clock keeper are going back and forth about the rules. The rules say this, the rules say this, no, the rules say this, the rules say this. And the ref sort of lays down his trump card after, you know, maybe 15, 20 seconds and the temperature's rising, you can tell. And he says, I wrote the rules, so I know I'm right. Now, I don't know if he actually wrote the rules, but he, said, he says he wrote the rules. Now, him saying, I wrote the rules, vindicated him. What he's saying is, I wrote the rules, so I know that I'm right. I know that I didn't break the rules, and I get to tell you what to do because I wrote the rules. It vindicated him to say that. All right, the Apostle Paul gives a summary of the consequences of God's law in this way. This is Romans chapter six. He says, the wages of sin is death. So if we were to ask, what are the consequences of the law? Paul says, the wages of sin is death. If we break the law, we break God's law, the wages, the penalty for breaking the law is death. All right, when Jesus says, I wrote the rules, and I'm going to be born underneath those rules, meaning that if I break them, then I will pay the penalty associated with them. He also knows, and he would live a life where he never broke the law. So he does not deserve to pay the penalty for the law. And yet, at the end of his life, what's he doing? He's dying. He's dying. So when Jesus says, I wrote the rules, I wrote the rules. If you break God's law, the wages of sin is death. He knows at the same time, what I'm going to do is I'm never going to break one of those rules, and yet I'm going to die. Why? I'm going to let the consequences for your sin fall on me. I'm going to let the wages for your sin fall on me. Uh, this is what lambs are always doing. They're everywhere in the Old Testament is what they're always doing. They always have to be a spotless lamb because the lamb has to signify that there's nothing wrong with it. The lamb never did anything wrong. The lamb didn't commit whatever sin is supposed to get this penalty and yet the lamb dies so that the person can live. See, when, when, uh, what Mary's supposed to do, she's supposed to come to the temple and bring a lamb and the priest is supposed to say, hey, Mary, you know, you're, you're like everybody else. You're a sinner. This lamb is gonna die instead of you. And what does uh, Jesus' friend John the Baptist say about Jesus when he sees him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Mary came to the temple, she couldn't have a lamb. She couldn't have a lamb. She's got Jesus. He is the lamb. He's her lamb. All right, let's end here. It is one thing. 
for us to think about these sort of Christmas things and say, you know, that's so nice. He was born poor. He can relate to me. Uh, he, he suffered and died like a lamb. That's great. It's a different thing to let it hit you that that was all for you. That the humiliation of Christ was for you. Uh, Jesus was born poor to make you rich. He was born under the law to let the wages of your sin fall on him. He was born to die so that you could live. And what does this mean for us? It means the facade can fall. Uh, Because if a lamb had to die for us, we are outed as the kind of people who need the very son of God to die in our place. That's how broken we are. And yet we are so loved that he wanted to do it for you. So what's the proper response to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? To Christ who is humiliated for you? Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the lamb who is your son. Uh, We thank you for the good news that we have in him. And God, uh, we pray that you would press it into our hearts, that we are the kind of people who need your very son to die in our place. And that we are the kind of people who, broken as we are, you've set your affection on and proven once and for all that you really do love us that you've given us a savior, your very son. We pray in his name, amen.